Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Every four years around this time, there are predictions from either side of doom and gloom. That, that if or because so-and-so wins or, or, or has won, uh, it's, it's doom and gloom. It's the end of various institutions, of various programs. It means the end of our, of our society. It means the, even the end of our nation. And the most extreme, it means even the end of the world. It's a sign of the end of the world. And you know what? Whether this is said by a Democrat or a Republican, they are absolutely 100% right. You'll see what I mean in a bit. I'm going to comment on our current uh, situation in our country, but if you think I'm going to preach politics, then you'll have missed the point. Rather, what I want to do is, uh, as, as another pastor said four years ago, I want to take this situation that has almost everybody worked up and preach the gospel into it. For a lot of people, maybe a lot of you, the results, and if you can call them that uh, yet, of the election were surprising and, and maybe seemed like the end of, of many things. But it's for this reason that our gospel lesson is a great fit. Because I can guarantee you that, that the result of Tuesday or, or Wednesday or, or yesterday or whenever it will finally be over and decided, uh, will not catch God off guard at all. The context for our gospel lesson with Jesus teaching on the end of the world is this. Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. It's the major festival, the major feast of the Old Testament. There are, there are crowds uh, there are tons of people in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they're all going to the temple. And Jesus and his disciples are just leaving the temple. And this is, by the way, just three days uh, before Jesus will be crucified. So the streets are filled with people, and Jesus and his disciples are just leaving the temple. And his disciples turn Jesus around, and they say, Look, wow, isn't it amazing? Aren't the buildings of the temple amazing? And they were. It really was amazing. This was the second iteration of the temple. The first one was built by King Solomon, and that one was even more amazing and glorious. Uh, but this still was. This one was the center not only of religious life for all of Israel, but it was the center for political life as well. You see, big bucks were dropped into the temple, into the rebuilding of the temple by Herod the Great. You know Herod, the one who, who, who killed innocent baby boys trying to murder the boy Jesus when he was in Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Well, why would that Herod drop money, spend this money on the temple of all people? Well, Herod did it as a political move. Uh, Herod was only partly Jewish, and 
So he needed to earn the trust of the Jews over which he was ruling. But he wanted to, to stay in favor with the Romans too. And, and so he built a, a massive temple for the Jews, but erected a golden eagle at the entrance, the symbol for the Roman Empire. And it'd be like if some politician offered to rebuild our church, but decided to put a, a big political or national flag uh, over our altar. Anyway, Herod built a magnificent and amazing temple to gain everybody's trust, even though he could care less about the actual faith. So Jesus says to his disciples' amazement, while they are marveling at the magnificent buildings, do you see all these things? Amen, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Can you imagine the shock of Jesus' words? I know some of you can. We think this way. I, I think this way. We look at our institutions, our political ideologies, our nation, and we think, wow, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what, what we've built? Man, this is the best thing ever. This is the best nation ever. This is never going to end. We are right in our ideology, and God is definitely obligated to bless this. But Jesus said to his disciples, it's all going to come crashing down. And so too for us. Whatever you and I are clinging to in this life to save us, and this election has revealed that we all have a lot of idols, Whatever you are clinging to, temples, political parties, princes or presidents, Supreme Court nominees, whatever it is, eventually it will come to an end. What Jesus is getting at is that the world as we know it will eventually die. The world is truly coming to an end. But when we realize the world is coming to an end, that we are going to die, then all sorts of questions come up, just as they did for the disciples. What do you mean? When is this going to happen? What will be the signs? So Jesus tells them the signs of the end of the world. He says there will be a distress unlike any that has happened since the beginning of the world until now, and unlike any that will happen again. But notice, if you, if you go back and read through the list of, of things that Jesus mentions will be signs of the end of the world, a lot of which I, I skipped over, uh, if you go back and read those, there's not one thing in Jesus' description that hasn't already happened. There have been wars and rumors of wars. Nation has risen against nation. There have been famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. The apostles were martyred. False prophets have co-opted the gospel, telling us to look every which way for Christ, uh, for salvation, and especially looking in our prosperity, in our hopes, and the way things we think they should be. And the most pointed of all, Herod's great temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the siege of Jerusalem. A siege so bad, it was worse than Herod's own murder of the babies when Jesus was a boy. 
This, Jesus says, is the end of the world. Since 70 AD, it has been the end of the world. And Jesus says it will not be easy to live through, and it will only get worse. Since 70 AD, the world has not been easy to live through. Wars, famines, conflicts, plagues are common through every generation, not just ours. Which is to say that we should always be ready for the end of the world. And from our perspective, it seems as if God is taking too long. Our natural inclination when we think God is taking too long is to do what the Israelites did when Moses took too long on the mountain. Take matters into their own hands and exchange the worship of God for a golden calf. To be pragmatic and to look for salvation in the great things that we can build or the things that we can see. Upon such people who are faithless, uh, as Israel did, they will drink their own judgment. We realize things are only getting worse. More and more are looking every which way for salvation rather than Christ. We cry out to God in trouble, How long, O Lord? And were it not for the sake of God's elect saints and the fourth angel holding back the wind, the destructive power of anything, uh, anything more destructive on the earth, as we heard last week, nobody would be saved. It sounds hopeless, but the reality of the gospel, the reality is the gospel is not found in our hopes of the way things ought to be. Our salvation is not found in a golden calf or a golden eagle or a golden donkey or a golden elephant, but that God is actually found in our struggle in our reality. That's what the cross tells us. The promise God gives here in our gospel lesson is that no matter how bad things are, God isn't surprised by anything. Jesus says, see, I have told you in advance so that we aren't surprised either. And it's not just that Jesus isn't surprised by our wickedness or the wickedness of the world because he's some all-knowing bystander standing afar off while he watches us suffer. No, Jesus knows how wicked our world is. Jesus knows how wicked we are, because he embedded himself into it on the cross. Jesus suffered all the pains of the world on the cross. That's why he's in Jerusalem, after all. He hasn't come to marvel at the temple and the political might and the glory of the executive branch of the Jewish government. He's come to die in utter humility and lowliness, judged and sentenced to death by that same government. Jesus has come to save those government officials who crucified him. Jesus has come to lay down his life for you. Your future, as one of God's elect, is in his hands. And this frees you 
from, from uh, this frees you to, to release your hold on anything in this world that you are or have been putting your trust in. This frees you from worrying about the state of the world. This frees you from thinking that it's up to you to fix everything. And it enables you to actually live in love and charity with someone with you disagree. It enables you and I as Christians, when the world is at its worst, to lift our heads because our redemption is drawing near. And in fact, your redemption is nearest when it seems the farthest away. So if they tell you, Jesus says, look, there is Christ over there, or there's your salvation when things are, are going well. There's your salvation in what you can see. Don't believe it. Because let me proclaim to you now that Christ is near and has been the whole time. He is near in water combined with word. He is near in the gospel preached from this pulpit. He is near in bread and wine, from which we receive the peace of God and life everlasting, which empowers you to remain steadfast to the very end. Jesus doesn't fix his disciples back to a human institution like the temple. Rather, he directs their eyes to the day when he will come again. As lightning flashes from the east and shines as far as the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. On the last day, everything we, we only see now by faith will eventually be turned to sight. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and he will gather his people to himself, both the living and the dead. So when you go about your lives this week and every week of your life, as the majority of the world moans and groans over institutions failing and falling, don't look back and down with them. But look east and look up. In a world in which our days are few and full of trouble, let us do as St. Paul said, and comfort one another with these words of the resurrection and Jesus' glorious return on the last day. In his name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.